Welcome to Blue Talks. Yesterday was my father's birthday. He was born on January 18, 1932. If he was living today, he would be 91 years old. I love my dad. He was a tinkerer. He was always building something, fixing something. He always had his head under the hood of the car. <laughs> I adored him. I never dreamed that he would leave us. When my parents divorced when I was 13 years old, my father moved across the country and I didn't have a relationship with him again for 30 years. At the time, I didn't realize what an impact that had on me, what a hole it left in my heart. I didn't know that it was going to affect me for the rest of my life. As an adult now, looking back, I don't blame him. My mother was a screaming demon. <laughs> she was always furious, slamming doors, creating chaos in the house. He had to go no contact for his own mental health. I get that now. But there were five of us. And I was the oldest of five, and he left us with her. My teenage years were not easy. But then it came time to go to college. And I was determined, I am going to college. I'm going to take my life in my two hands. I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to break that mold of all this dysfunction. And I went. I, my family didn't help me at all. I figured it out. I worked my way through. And I went. And the first month of freshman year, I met this most amazing person. He was always on stage. He was in the front. He was singing with the groups and he was traveling with the groups. And whenever there was a play on uh, campus, he was a star leading roles. He was awesome. And he liked me. <laughs> I couldn't believe he liked me. <laughs> I was so shy and scared, eager to please. And he took me home to meet his family. And this is how they ate dinner every night of the week. And his mother loved me. I thought I had met the perfect man from the perfect family. My life was set. And yep, I married him. 21 years of age, I married him. And I thought my, I was on the upward trend. It only gets better from here. <laughs> but it didn't take long for me to really understand that the further we went, the more and more he distanced himself from me, further and further and further away. So I started having children. I love children. I had a couple children and I just decided I'm going to fill my life with kids. And I did. I had seven children in 12 years. I loved them. They filled my life with joy. And I started writing novels. I wrote 20 novels in 15 years while raising all those kids. And one of my novels won a national award. 
And by the time that 15-year period had ended, I had sold half a million copies. I was a best-selling author. I was getting invitations to speak at writers' conferences and other things. I made myself happy. But as time went by and the years went by, my children started growing up and leaving home. And my life became more and more gray. There was just nothing in that house for me. There was nothing there. So I don't need to tell you the end of the story. <laughs> I'm sure you guessed it by now. I got a divorce. <laughs> and I thought, well, I'm on my way now. I am been through 30 years of marriage. I've raised seven great people. Now it's my turn. So I went into therapy. I was in therapy for two years. And it was about the second session, I think. It was right at the beginning. My therapist said to me, you know your husband's a narcissist, right? And I went, what? My mother was, I knew that. I mean, she was so loud and brash and she was really mean. But my ex-husband was quiet. He didn't say a week, go for days and never say a word. He was really dominant, but he was quiet. And then I learned that there are different kinds of narcissists. They're still narcissists. I also learned that he had created a persona for me. He told me who I was. And I believed him. I believed him. And it took me years to find out, who is this person in here, really? Who is this? And so I finished therapy. I was released from therapy. Good to go. And so everybody was telling me, you need to get back out there. Isn't that what they say? Get back out there. <laughs> so I got back out there. I dabbled a little bit in online dating, but I didn't meet this guy in online dating. I actually met him at a meetup. The first time I went to this meetup group, it was singles over 50. And he just zeroed in on me. First meeting. And at first, you know... I, I just had some doubts about him, but he was the owner of a brick and mortar store in the town, in that city, of long standing. And he was very jovial. Everybody seemed to like him. And, you know, eventually he wore me down and I did agree to go out with him. And within a few weeks, a couple months, you know, we ended up in a relationship. But about three months in, four months in, something like that, I started to just kind of get this idea that we're not compatible. I, I just didn't really like his lifestyle. I mean, he was a party guy. I've never been a party girl. I don't like loud music. I don't like crowds. I don't even drink. And he was taking me around to all of these things, just dragging me along. And I was like, oh God, when is it gonna stop? It was miserable. I was miserable all the time. And he didn't even seem to notice that I was miserable. Well, I'd been down that road before. <laughs> so I tried to, you know, let him down easy. We've had some good times. It's been nice, but it just isn't working out for me. And I broke, off, broke up with him. And when I broke up with him, he went completely psycho. He started stalking me. He was texting me 50, 75 times a day. I had to turn off my phone. 
I could look out the window and there he was standing on the sidewalk outside. I was scared to go to my car. And then he started vandalizing my property. I had 13 flat tires in three weeks. He tried to break into my house in the middle of the night multiple times. Tried to pull me out of a car one time. I was terrified. I came from a home of domestic violence. I knew what this was about. So I called the police. <laughs> Isn't that what you're supposed to do? Call the police. <laughs> I called the police a dozen times, 911 over and over until the people, the police in my area knew me. Oh, here she is again. Well, that started an entire another set of events. Uh, they told me to go down and get a restraining order. So I went down and got a restraining order. I got two restraining orders. I went, had broken restraining orders. And then we went to court multiple times, having to go to court, testifying. All of that, 18 months worth of trauma. He was never behind bars. He got community service. He was still out there. So I ended up moving across state lines. I rented someone's spare bedroom. And I sat there thinking about my life. It was getting worse. I wasn't afraid for my safety when I was married. I never called 911 in my life until that time. And that's when I started asking a different question. I started asking, what am I doing to attract this kind of behavior? Because when I walked into the room, both at college and at the meetup, Right here, not this person, not that person. They were right here on me. What was I doing? And so I started into full on research mode. I was reading books, psychology books. And I'm, you know, I'm a novelist. I study psychology all the time, why people do what they do. And I read, I was watching YouTube videos of, of uh, psychologists talking about narcissistic empath relationships and all of this but I did not find the answer in my research. I actually found my answer in my job. Uh, at the time I was selling hot tubs on a showroom floor and doing marketing. Now I've been doing marketing for years. That's one of the reasons I sold so many books. Good at marketing. And so I started thinking, what is a narcissist target market? They've got someone in mind because they're selling a certain kind of a relationship. They've got certain qualifications that meet their criteria. And what am I doing to meet their, their uh, expectations? How am I playing into that dynamic? That changed everything for me. So when I started thinking about what a narcissist is looking for, First, you have this side of the equation. On this side of the equation, they want someone who's smart, someone who's accomplished, someone who's doing things in their life, somebody that people respect. Because a narcissist is never gonna hang out with somebody that takes them down a notch. They don't hang around with losers. They only wanna be with people that elevate them. So they're gonna look for a 10 out of 10. That's this side of the equation. 
and they will check out. If they're in a room full of people and they're in the market for a new relationship, they're looking. Bing, there's somebody who looks really good. People are around them. They're smiling, laughing. It looks like they're respected. Okay, so they say to this person, hey, who's that? And that person says, oh yeah, this and this and this. That person is awesome. Like, bing. Okay, now comes the second part of the equation. Does this person really know how good they are? Are they kind and tender-hearted? Are they really nice? How eager to please are they? How much will they allow someone to push their boundaries? That's the second part of the equation. And so they're going to approach because they're going to test it out. So what they do then is they approach and they do a few little tests because they're looking for information. Depending on your response, that gives them the information to know what is step two for me now and step three and so forth. So when they approach, they start off with an energy, like an attraction energy. It's almost like a, a sparkling electricity because they've got intention, they've got agenda and they're trying to enroll you. So they'll stare into your eyes and make you feel like they think you're really attractive, you know, which they do. They do like you, you're qualifying. <laughs> and so then at some point in the very beginning of this interaction, they're going to start with playful flirting insults. What happened? You have a fight with your hairdresser? Look at that outfit. Goodwill having a sale on? Looking for your response. And this is really important. You are 100% in control of your response. And so you wanna be prepared. You do not want to let them elicit a response out of you according to what they want. You want to give a response that's going to get the outcome that you want. So what do you do? When someone comes in on you like this, another way they do it is pushing into your personal space. They'll push into your face, they'll touch your hair, they'll pick up your phone, they'll do all these outrageous things. You just met them. And you can give them a positive response. A positive response is, oh, you're just so bad. You're outrageous. Stop that. Laughing, blushing, enjoying the attention, that's a positive response. Or you can give them a negative response. I don't like you. Get away from me, leave. Either way, you're feeding them information because a negative response to them is a challenge and they love nothing more than a challenge. That's why some people will come to you a hundred times and ask you questions and you're still saying no and they never get discouraged because in their mind, 101 will be the magic number and they will wear you down. So what do you do? If you give them a negative response, you're inviting them for more. If you give them a positive response, you're inviting them for more. And by the time you continually feed them this information, by the time you get to this, you are already entangled you are already enmeshed with them 
and it's very hard to extricate yourself. They will be inundating you with attention, spending lots of money, telling you're the only woman they ever loved and you, nobody understands you, uh, them but you and all these things. Keeping your endorphins going so that you can't think straight. So in my research, I came across this concept of gray rock. Has anybody ever heard of gray rock? When you are in a narcissistic relationship, the experts say that the thing to do is to go gray rock. So when you go gray rock, you just have no response. You're like a gray rock on the ground. So say your narcissistic husband comes in, tries to push your buttons, they're wanting to fight, blank. You don't even know they're there. You just don't respond because your response, positive or negative, is giving them energy. So I was thinking, well, what would happen if you took this gray rock idea and you moved it all the way to the beginning, at the beginning of this interaction, instead of waiting until you're entangled and you've got a mess on your hands. So when someone comes to you, someone new with a sparkle, or actually pretty much anyone, I've taken it further because I didn't just have boyfriends, I had landlords, bosses, friends doing this to me. The first time someone says something negative to you about yourself, gray rock. Once they start, gray rock. That means you don't respond. You don't talk to them. You don't look at them. You just get interested in, oh, that over there is really nice. Hey, what do you think about this? Talk to someone else. Look at your phone. Do anything but respond in any way, not even with a shrug or a facial expression. You just go gray rock. And then if they pers persist and they, they keep on going, they push a little harder, you call for help. You don't talk to them. Bartender, I'm having a little trouble here. I need a little help. Oh, Joe, my friend Joe. This guy's bothering me, Joe. What they do at that point is like, no, 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 just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. The last thing they want is for somebody to come along and make them look bad. This is the very beginning. They have no investment in you. They're just trying to see what you'll take. And it's very easy for them to just fade into the background and leave. And that's exactly what they'll do. If you ever come across somebody who doesn't leave by this point, call 911. You've got a bigger problem on your hands. <laughs> so I learned this. I tried this and... One by one, all of those people just began to fade out of my life. They just disappeared. And today I don't have a single narcissist in my life now. I know the signs. And if I get that negativity, I'm just backing off, turning away, and I'm not participating. The only way you can win this game is to not play. That's it. So in the meantime, what has happened? <laughs> my life has changed dramatically. For the first time, I know who this person is. I feel it calmly grounded. I have confidence that I've never had before. And I've been speaking all over the place and been on platforms all over the world. Book number 42 is coming out this year and my sales are at a million now. 
And this book, the story is fiction, but it's about a woman with a stalker. And through the fiction story, I go through the escalation. I go through the police, what they do, what they don't do, how to protect yourself. It's going to help a lot of people. And then I'm also launching a course, how to write an impact-driven novel that sells. More people are helped through this course. So I just want to leave you with this. If you've been the target of a narcissist, or maybe you were like me, you know, a cycle of narcissists, I just want to remind you that no matter what they might say to you, narcissists don't hang out with losers. They only want the best of the best. And so if you've been the target of a narcissist, you have been vetted and approved by someone who only wants a 10 out of 10. You are officially awesome. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.